We're going to be in Matthew 8. Let's turn to Matthew 8 and look in verse 18 through 20, and let's see what, what the Word of God says today. Matthew 8, starting in verse 18. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. <clears throat> Excuse me. Scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples came to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Let me pray over these verses this morning. Lord, I pray that we would hear from you today. That we would understand while salvation is free, and there is nothing required other than just to place our faith in you for salvation, it is costly to follow you. Help us to apply that to our lives. Teach us today, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before Rhonda and I were married, and then even a little bit after we were married, I used to work at an independent office supply store named Norton Office Supply in Colorado Springs. Um, I don't think it's even in existence anymore. I I was making minimum wage. Rhonda was making a little bit more than minimum wage. And, and, you know, when you're a young couple, you had more money, than, or more month at the end of the month than money, and uh, times were tight. Um, we barely had enough money sometimes to feed the family by the end of the month. That was just the way life is. You know that. Our finances were tight. And then we had Jessica, <laughs> which makes things even tighter, because babies. Need a lot of stuff, you know that. So there was a, a mature, a more mature lady who had come into Norton Office Supply, and once a year she would order Christmas cards. We had this huge stock of Christmas cards, and she would go through. She always wanted me to help her, and so I'd help her, and she'd f- always buy the most expensive, extraordinarily expensive Christmas cards that she could find. You could tell she was somewhat well off. She'd come in periodically through the year. She'd ask for me, and then we'd walk together through the store and pick out items and, and just develop a relationship with this lady. And uh, when, once Rhonda and I got married, uh, she sent us a very nice wedding present. And then when Jessica was born, I would pull out my pictures and show her pictures of, of Jessica and, oh, what a beautiful baby and, and all that. And, and so it was a an interesting relationship. And one of her visits to the store, she invited Rhonda and I over to her house. And it was in the Broadmoor part of town, which is the kind of uh, more expensive part of town to live in. And we drove up and she had this extravagant dinner and I was afraid to touch anything for fear it would break. And, and uh, it was just a really nice dinner um, I was more uncomfortable because it was such uh, luxury. But during the course of the dinner, she had a proposition for Rhonda and I. 
her, her daughter was the CEO of a major distrib- distributor of beauty aids. She was not married, but she wanted a child. And she offered Rhonda and I $25,000 for the ingredients for a child. And she was serious. <laughs> now, to put that in perspective, there were houses around where Rhonda and I lived that were selling for $30,000. And if you took $25,000 from 1993 and moved it into today, it's about $43,000. But, but she was offering us, today it would be close to $50,000 for a kid. And we immediately said no. There was no way that was going to happen. She told us to think about it. She said $25,000 would go a long way in taking care of Jessica. And she was right. It would have been a lot of money for us at that particular time. We stood fast. We politely told her, thank you for her offer. And we left for the night. See, we realized the responsibility God gave us for any child that was created by Rhonda and I would go outweigh it would, the responsibility would outweigh any benefit she should give us. A child is an eternal being. There is the spiritual life of the child. And we understood the cost of following Christ because the, our relationship with Christ was a priority in our life. We turned down the money when it would have been really, really helpful. And I'm sure the world might have looked at that choice and said, why wouldn't you do that? But as believers in Christ, those who are believers in Christ here, we look at things strangely different than that the world looks at it. We look at one situation and we see it completely foreign and differently than what the world might look at it. So they might, the world might say, why not just take the money and then let them do whatever they want? There's nothing wrong with that, they might say. But listen, when we count the cost of following Christ and make Him a priority, our life is strangely different than the world's. It's just different. That's the topic we're going to look at us today. We have turned over, as believers in Christ, we have turned over our rights to, to Christ. And we say, I have no longer rights, it's now Christ's life. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, I die daily. And he says that so that Christ may live. This passage in Matthew here, it, it begins with Matthew recording that there was a large crowd that, that was following Jesus. Remember, he just healed a large amount of people. Matthew records in, in the beginning of eight, three stories of Jesus healing outcasts. He healed a leper, he healed a lady, and he healed a demon-possessed person. He healed a centurion servant, a, a, a Gentile servant. There were 
there were these things. He showed that he had authority over physical ailments to show that the kingdom of God would include all people of all places, of all different races and backgrounds. And after these stories that are obviously examples of Jesus' amazing work, Matthew says that these crowds began to swarm him. It begins, now Jesus saw a crowd around him. He told his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea. He, they would have a lot of work on the other side when they would get there. But the crowd heard he was leaving and came to him before they left, before they thought that maybe this is their one opportunity, they thought, to, to follow him. And so there's, there's a couple of people here we hear proclaim their desire to follow Christ. They want to follow him, they say. So Matthew tells that Jesus has authority over physical ailments. He also shows he has authority over his disciples that we're going to see today. When Luke tells the story, there's three people. There's three people in this story that Jesus talks about. Matthew records only two, and I believe that he records two to show that these two reflect the vast majority of people in life who want to follow Christ. They may really want to, but not sure how to get started or or what it really means to follow Christ. And this is what we're going to learn about today. And so, what can we learn from these two men who came to Christ, who want to follow Christ, but they, they have wrong mindsets. What, what can we learn from them? Well, first of all, we can see that we, we must first count the cost of following Christ. Look in verse 18 through 20. Jesus, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave the orders to depart to the other side of the sea. And then a scribe came to him. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. See, the first man teaches us about counting the cost of following Christ. Accepting Christ is free. You, you don't have to earn your way. There's not enough tithe you can give. There's not enough time in prayer to earn salvation. You can't read your Bible enough to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It is a free gift of God. It is by grace through faith. But following Christ is costly. It costs something. When we begin to follow Christ, it will cost us. First, we see here that this man, he had a desire to follow Christ. And we should have a, that desire. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. That is a great desire. And that is something that, that should be voiced. Christ, I will, lead, I will follow you wherever you lead. Wherever you want, I will go. See, this, and, and here's the deal. This was a scribe. Throughout the New Testament, scribes are always kind of spoken of harshly. They are always pictures of rejecting Christ. But here is one who seems genuinely interested in following him. They were the, the scribes were the biblical authorities of Jesus' time. They knew the law. They knew God's word. 
They were experts at it. They were something like judges in, in Jewish law. So they were so much experts that people would bring disputes before them, and then they could say, well, the law says this or the law says that. They were, they were the, the experts, the law, the law, so to speak, like lawyers or judges. They were held a high place in Jewish life. They were a very elite class in society. But here's one who says, I want to follow Christ. Wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. He had a strong desire. And we need to have that strong desire. So to to follow Christ, first of all, there's got to be a desire. I want to follow Christ. And I pray that's your desire today. Even if you're someone who's never trusted in him, perhaps there's a desire in your heart that says, I want to follow Christ. That's a good desire. But we also see, second, we need to desire to follow Christ, but second, don't let comfort deter your desire. Jesus says, following me is uncomfortable. He says, if you follow me, you're not going to get a cushy bed at night. You're not going to have a roof over your head. Maybe. You might not know where your next meal's coming from. These disciples followed Jesus just around and had to trust fully on him for everything. And so it wasn't going to be comfortable. But here's the deal. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's a, it's a clearly messianic phrase. It is a phrase that says, I am God. Jesus is referring to himself as the Messiah, as deity here. It is a phrase that was first used by, Jer- by Daniel. I think I told my Sunday school Jeremiah today, so sorry guys. It's actually Daniel that used that. Um, Daniel 7, 13 through 14, this is what Daniel says. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And Jesus says, that's me. There was no doubt that Jesus was claiming to be God. He says, you may not have a house, you may not have a place to lay your head, but you're walking with God. Don't let comfort deter us from following God. Our Savior is the one who spoke and creation leapt into existence. He's the one who at the end is going to breathe and the enemies disappear. And he has empowered us with the Holy Spirit who gifts us with supernatural gifts and walks with us and protects us. Following Christ is more about who we're following and less about where we're going, right? 
I will follow you wherever you go because I'm going to follow you. doesn't matter where we go as long as you're with me. That's what Moses said. Moses was sitting there, um, and God's like, move the people. And he says, don't, don't make me move the people if you're not going to go with us. If you're not going, I don't want to go. So this man wanted to follow him. And Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. I am God in the flesh. Your desire to follow me is right. It is good. But he corrects his thinking in verse 20. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He uses pictures. Anyone can understand that the contrast is between life and ministry and life of wild animals. And he's, he's, some, he's kind of saying life and ministry, following Christ. Sometimes wild animals have it better. Birds have nests. You may not, if that's the way God calls you. Foxes have holes to go into. But you may be following Christ and might have to not have a place to sleep. You might have to stay awake with a friend all night long. To minister to their need. Albert Schweitzer, who was a famous doctor and a theologian of the 20th century, he said that Jesus was devoid of all middle class security. I thought that was an interesting quote. He was an elite member of the society telling Jesus, I want to follow you, and Jesus says, Don't, it's not comfortable. You've got to do things you may not want to do. Go places you don't want to go. This man's de- desire was deterred because he had given up his comforts that he had gotten used to in order to follow Jesus. And I think the danger is the same for us today. That there are certain things we're comfortable with. There are certain people we're comfortable running around in certain circles with. And, and there's, there's certain places we're comfortable going, and there's some that we're not comfortable hanging around, and places we're not comfortable going. But Jesus is probably leading us into places that are not comfortable. And so we can't let our comfort deter God's work in us. Following Christ is going to take us out of our comfort zone. And I'm not sure what that means specifically for you, it may mean leading you in a ministry that you may not feel like you're comfortable doing. But God says, this is what I want you to do. It may mean moving somewhere where God is leading you to move. And why I don't want anyone to move, everyone's, we've had too many people move, so everyone stay here, but if God's leading you, you've got to go, Right? It may be interacting with those who are un- you're uncomfortable with. Whatever it is, don't let your comfort deter your desire to following Christ because following Christ will be costly. Like I said, salvation's free, but following Christ is costly. And here's what it costs following Christ. Ready? It costs you exactly one life. That's what it costs. Listen to these passages. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, 
Is that your desire? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, gives up his life for my sake, he will find it. It costs you a life to follow Christ, your own. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion was a painful, torturous death. It wasn't just torture and then let loose. It was a way to kill a person slowly and effectively. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And 1 Corinthians 15, 13, it says this, there, I affirm, brethren, by, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. See, salvation's free, but it's going to cost you exactly one life. It may cost you your comfort. It may cost you your family. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your job. It may cost you friends. But you're gaining Christ, God in the flesh. There's recruitment posters for our country's armed forces that you might see, or commercials. And they emphasize you can get financial help or you, you know, for, for school or, or you can gain a skill. And that is, that is good stuff that we do for our military. But the real truth, the harsh truth, is that enlistment in the military carries risks. That there is a possibility if you join the military, you are going to go into a war zone where you may lose your life. But... But many times they're not saying that on the ads, right? They don't say, come to the military, you might die, right? That's not, that's not the catchphrase. It is, come to the military and we'll help you be the best you, which is, which is good. That is, I'm not, I'm not beating up our military. I'm just saying that there's been over 6,900 people who've died in the Iraq and Afghanistan war by the end of 2018, since it started, was it 2014 or whenever it started, um, 6,900 people, specifically 6,951 military personnel have died. And that's not counting contractors and civilians and, and other people. It's not counting those who are injured or ill from the war. But families of those who have died, they've been reminded that enlisting in the armed forces carries a, a risk. And I think sometimes when we present the Christian faith and we're talking with people, we're, we're like those enlistment posters. And we say, there's a lot of good stuff following Christ without saying, but you got to die. To follow Christ, you have to give up. You have to give it all up. You have to surrender. That's what surrender means. It's not... I half surrender, and I'll give you most of my life. It is laying down and saying, I am done because I cannot do it on myself anymore. 
And when we talk about coming to Christ, we're more like recruitment posters sometimes. And saying, listen, salvation is free. It costs nothing. I mean, it, it, to gain salvation, but in order to gain it, you've got to give it, give it all up. You have to lay down your life and cost you one, one life. The scribe was quick. He was too quick to come to Christ. I'll follow you when he didn't count the cost of what it meant to follow him. And Christ knew his heart and said, look, you got to think about this because there's a cost. So he was, he, he was too quick. He wanted the glory that came with healings. He's like, man, I want to follow a guy around who can speak and, and the, the lame get up and walk and leopards are, lepers are clean, cleansed and, and demons are cast out. I want that glory. I want that kind of glory. And he didn't, he didn't consider how hard it is to follow Christ in ministry. He was too quick to come to Christ. And I think the next man that we read about, he's too slow in committing to Christ. We should not only count the cost when we're following Christ, but we should also place a priority of of following Christ. We need to place a priority on following Christ. The next man we hear in verse 21 is a disciple. It says, another disciple, another of the disciples came to him. Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. This guy is a disciple. It doesn't mean he's one of the twelve um, Jesus had a big following of disciples. We'll read later that he sent out 70 or 72 out two by two. And, and so he had a large people of, of around him that wanted to follow him. And later they would all fall away except the 12. So this is just a guy who was following Christ. He was a disciple. And we see, too, that this man also had a desire to follow Christ. Lord, permit, he says, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. I want to follow you, is what he's saying. I want to follow you, but I got other things I got to take care of first. It wasn't the priority of following him. He had a desire. He was a disciple. He was already following Christ. But at some time during his life, he saw Jesus. He heard his teaching. He decided he would become a student of Christ, and he would become one of Christ's disciples. He was following Christ at this time. He was a disciple. He had a desire to follow him. There's a lot of people who have a desire to follow Christ. They get along with their thoughts. They gather with Christian friends, and they, they express this deep desire to follow Christ. I want to have more of him. And maybe that's what this man happened. But something had happened in his life that placed it not at the exact priority. It was down the list now because these events had, had placed something in this man's life, more important than following Christ. And so we hear that, that he expresses this heart to Jesus. First, let me, permit me first to go bury my father. 
And the point we can take from this is that we should not be distracted by the temporal. Don't be distracted by the temporal. He says, permit me first to go bury my father. He's saying, let let me do this thing first, and then I'll follow you as closely. He's just putting it off because there's just one more thing he's got to do. Look, we, we need to understand the context here. Almost every scholar that I, I read, any, any commentary, said that this father probably had not died yet, but he was close. And he's saying, look, i got to stay here. I need to care for my dad until he dies, and then I'll take care of all these things, and then I will come and follow you. And that's a noble thing, and I'm not saying we should not take care of our aging parents. That's not, that's not the point here. The point was, maybe he would take care of his father, then his father would die, then he would bury his father, then his father, a year later, they would come back to the tomb, they would take the bones of the father and put it in what they call a bone box, and then after all that's done, then his dad is taken care of, then he can come to follow Christ. He was asking for a leave of absence. i got to take care of this thing first, and after I get done with that project, then I'm going to follow you wherever you go. His desire was to follow Christ, but he was distracted by temporal things. I think that's one of the main, the, the main problems in, in the church body. Not, not, not saying this church, I'm saying the body of Christ as a whole today that we, we get caught up in the temporary and we think about time, and we think about um, the issues of the day, and, and how busy we are, and how our schedules are crammed full, and, and, and we, we get distracted by the temporal that we, we miss some of the eternal. I want to follow you more closely. But, but I've got all these other things. I've got a family to raise, or I've got, I've got um, certain things at work, or I have, to grow, I have to mature more spiritually first before I dive into that ministry, or I have to do this thing, or I have to do that thing. And once that's done, then I will just commit my whole life to you. Look, every one of those commitments are good commitments. This was not a bad commitment. This guy needed to take care of his dad. But if if it robs God of the priority in our life, then it's become an idol. And Jesus says, you can't follow me that way. In fact, following Christ demands priority. Listen how Jesus says, answers the excuse of this man. Following Jesus demands priority. Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That is harsh, isn't it? My dad's dying. He's like, let him die. Let the people bury him. If you're going to follow me, follow me. There's a lot of debate about what he's saying. I think, I think what he's saying is, let those who are spiritually dead Bury those who are physically dead so that you can focus on those who are spiritually dead, right? So that he could go and be fishers of men. 
Even if that's the case, it's still a harsh answer, but it doesn't make it less true. Jesus was saying, listen, make other arrangements. Follow me. If you follow me now, do, do it now or you never will. There is a point where if we continually put off following Christ fully, that our heart gets so hardened we just won't do it anymore. Jesus says, follow me now, make other arrangements, or you will never do it. Make it a priority. He says, my business, Jesus is saying, my business is more important than any business on this earth. And even if that's the death of a loved one. I know that's harsh, and there's a lot, of, a lot more to that. And again, I'm not saying abandon your family when someone's love. In fact, one of our main ministries is to our families, and so we, we might need to be there at particular times so that we can share the love of Christ with those. That's not what he's saying. This guy was not putting, following Christ at the priority of his life. He makes no apologies for demanding priority in our lives. Jesus says, I want to be first, and he's not ashamed of that. Above everything else, that's, that's what he's calling us to. There's a, a ministry in Los Angeles called Homeboy Industries in East Los Angeles. A priest by the name of Father Greg Boyle, he's the founder and director and he's put a team of physicians and, and uh, physicians assistants and nurse practitioners together where part of their ministry is to take tattoos off of gang members. They have come to know Christ. They are wanting to turn their life around, but they've got gang tattoos on their faces, on their arms. And these gang tattoos are, are a hindrance in their life. And it's, it's remnants of an old life, but it's impacting their new life. And so they go to this place, and they, take a, a, they remove these tattoos from, from these old gang members. There's no fee to, the, to them, and they have to do community service to do that. They've got about 30 doctors and, and nurse practitioners and, and physician assistants and they remove about 3,000 tattoos off of 950 people every month. They are, and, and they say the process feels like, like your, your skin is being burned off. But they say, I, want, I need this out of my life. They had a picture on the website of a girl who had a gang tattoo right here, and they were removing it off of her face. Because it might seem like when you get a gang tattoo that that is a permanent decision and from then on you are now the ownership of that gang. You're, you're the gang owns you. But they've made a change and they say this is no longer my previous life. And they're removing that identity. And as painful as it is, and as long as it takes, the list grows and grows of people who say, I want to be free 
and I'll endure the pain. See, the gangs were a priority in the ex-gang members' life, so much so that they had marks on their body to show who they belonged to. And they turn their life over to Christ, and they're saying, I want that removed, and so that they can, and, and they'll go through excruciating pain and a long process to have that removed. We have marks in our life as well that show the priorities in our life. We may not have gang tattoos on our face, but in our life there are marks of what's a priority. It might be money, it might be our reputation, it might be our friends, it might be our, our, our family, and I'm, I guess our family should be a priority, but nothing is taking priority over God in our life. And those leave marks. And we need to remove the ownership of these things over our life, which robs God of their priority, and give God the priority that he deserves. And you know what? It hurts when those are removed. When those things are, that are a priority, it begins to hurt. Probably as much as getting a, a gang tattoo removed from your face. But when we remove them, then following Christ begins to take the priority that he desires. And when Christ takes priority, when we become marked for him, we could say like Paul in Galatians six seventeen. he says, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The marks we should be carrying are the marks of Jesus. And Paul literally had marks on him. He was beat. He was stoned and left for dead. He, he was shipwrecked. He had all these scars of life. And he says, every one of these is a brand mark of Jesus Christ on my life to show the priority of Christ in my life. And when we begin to remove the side issues of life and make Christ following him the absolute priority in our life, yeah, it'll hurt and it'll leave marks but we could say, man, this is the brand of Christ on me. Like Christ took a hot brand and hit it on me so to show who I belong to. The scribe was too quick in following Christ. He didn't count the cost. He wanted the glory of following Christ. He didn't consider how hard it is to faithfully follow him. The disciple here, he was too slow in following Christ. He wanted to delay until he was ready for it, until he was... He, he, he had other things to take care of. He was too slow. And my question is, do either of these men describe you? Have you been called to serve Christ in a place that's not comfortable and you refuse to go because you just can't give up that comfort? Have you told Christ, I will follow you just as soon as this happens? Do either of these men describe you? I'm going to have you bow your heads and consider that question. Is God calling you to serve him in maybe a place that's not as comfortable? Is God calling you to serve him and you say, I will next year? 
I will next month. I will until this, right after this thing happens. It's good to have a desire to follow him. Don't let the temporary deter you. Don't let side issues distract you. Place Christ, following Christ, a priority in your life. God, I come to you and ask that you would speak to our hearts. God, I would, I would guess that every person here does have a desire to follow you. That's why we're here. We want to hear about you. We want to worship you. We want to leave here equipped to, to serve. But God, we may have things that, that deter us. We have temporal things that we worry about that distract us from you. We have other things that take priority in our life instead of placing, following you first. God, I pray today that if there's someone here who's never trusted in you, that they would stop with the excuses and forget the obstacles and simply say, I lay down my life for you. And that for the first time, they would surrender their life to you and you would bring them to new life. Lord, if there's a believer here who who needs a fresh focus on following you, I pray that you would clear away whatever is the distraction. And they would count the cost and surrender to you and not be distracted by the temporary. But place following you is the first thing in every aspect of their life. God, I ask that you would work in a special way now. You'd move in our hearts and minds. You'd give us courage to make decisions. You'd give us the, the endurance to fulfill those decisions, to keep them. And however you want us to, to respond, I pray we would be faithful to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.